Section 5 of Revolution by Mac Reynolds. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Paul Harvey. It was by no means the last trip that Paul Kosloff was to make to his underground contacts, nor the last visit to the dacha in Petrodretz. In fact, the dacha became the meeting center of the Russian underground with their liaison agent from the West. Through it funneled the problems involved in the logistics of the thing, spotted through the rest of the vast stretches of the country. Paul had his local agents, American, British, French, West German, but this was the center. The McCoyan camera made a great success in the States, and little wonder. Unknown to the Soviets, the advertising campaign that sold it cost several times the income from the sales. All they saw were the continued orders, the repeated visits of Mr. John Smith to Leningrad on buying trips. Leonid Schwernick was even given a promotion on the strength of his so ably cracking the American market. Anna Furtseva was automatically assigned to Paul as interpreter guide whenever he appeared in the Soviet Union's second capital. In fact, when he made his tourist jaunts to the Black Sea region, to the Urals, to Turkestan to Siberia, he was able to have her assigned to the whole trip with him. It gave a tremendous advantage in his work with the other branches of the underground. Questions, unthought of originally when Paul Koslov had been sent into the USSR, arose as the movement progressed. On his third visit to the dacha, he said to Shvernik and three others of the organization's leaders who had gathered for the conference, Look, my immediate superior wants me to find out who is to be your top man, the chief of state of the new regime, when number one and the present hierarchy have been overthrown. Leonid Shvernik looked at him blankly. By this stage, he, as well as Anna, had become more to Paul than just pawns in the game being played. For some reason, having studied under the older Koslov, seemed to give a personal touch that had grown. Nikolai Kirinchenko, higher up in the Moscow branch of the underground, looked strangely at Paul and at Shvernik. What have you told him about the nature of our movement? he demanded. Paul said, What's the matter? All I wanted to know was who was scheduled to be top man. Shvernik said, Actually, I suppose we have had little time to discuss the nature of the new society we plan. We've been busy working on the overthrow of the communists. However, I thought Paul was uneasy now. Leonid was right. Actually, in his association with both Anna and Leonid Shvernik, they had seldom mentioned what was to follow the collapse of the Soviets. It suddenly occurred to him how overwhelmingly important this was. Nikolai Kirchenko, who spoke no English, said in Russian, See here, we are not an organization attempting to seize power for ourselves. This was a delicate point, Paul sensed. Revolutions are seldom put over in the name of reaction or even conservatism. Whatever the final product, they are invariably presented as being motivated by liberal idealism and progress. He said, I'm familiar with the dedication of your organization. I have no desire to underestimate your ideals. However, my question is presented with good intentions and remains unanswered. You aren't anarchists, I know. 
You expect a responsible government to be in control after the removal of the police state. So I repeat, who is to be your head man? How would we know? Kirchenko blurted in irritation. We're working toward a democracy. It's up to the Russian people to elect any officials they may find necessary to govern the country. Shvernik said, However, the very idea of a head man, as you call him, is opposed to what we have in mind. We aren't looking for a super leader. We've had enough of leaders. Our experience is it is too easy for them to become misleaders. If the history of this century has proven anything, with its Mussolini's, Hitler's, Stalin's, Chang's, and Mao's, it is that the search for a leader to take over the problems of a people is a vain one. The job has to be done by the people themselves. Paul hadn't wanted to get involved in the internals of their political ideology. It was dangerous ground. For all he knew, there might be wide differences within the ranks of the revolutionary movement. There almost always were. He couldn't take sides. His only interest in all this was the overthrow of the Soviets. He covered. Your point is well taken, of course. I understand completely. Oh, and here's one other matter for discussion. These radio transmitters for your underground broadcasts. It was a subject in which they were particularly interested. The Russians leaned forward. Here's the problem, Kirchenko said. As you know, the Soviet Union consists of 15 republics. In addition, there are 17 autonomous Soviet socialist republics that coexist within these basic 15 republics. There are also 10 of what we call the autonomous regions. Largely, each of these political divisions speak different languages and have their own cultural differences. Paul said, Then it will be necessary to have transmitters for each of these areas? Even more, because some are so large that we will find it necessary to have more than one underground station. Leonid Shvernik said worriedly, and here's another thing. The KGB has the latest in equipment for spotting the location of an illegal station. Can you do anything about this? Paul said, we'll put our best electronics men to work. The problem, as I understand it, is to devise a method of broadcasting that the secret police can't trace. They looked relieved. Yes, that is the problem, Karachenko said. He brought up the subject sometime later when he was alone with Anna. They were strolling along the left bank of the Neva River, paralleling the Admiralty building, supposedly on a sightseeing tour. He said, I was discussing the future government with Leonid and some of the others the other day. I don't think I got a very clear picture of it. He gave her a general rundown of the conversation. She twisted her mouth characteristically at him. What did you expect, a return to czarism? Let me see, who is pretender to the throne these days? Some grand duke in Paris, isn't it? He laughed with her. I'm not up on such questions, Paul admitted. I think I rather pictured a democratic parliamentary government somewhere between the United States and England. Those are governmental forms based on a capitalist society, Paul. Her hair gleamed in the brightness of the sun, and he had to bring his mind back to the conversation. Well, yes, but you're overthrowing the communists. That's the point, isn't it? Not the way you put it. 
Let's see if I can explain. Um, to begin with, there have only been three bases of government evolved by man. I'm going to have to simplify this. It isn't my field, but go on, Paul said. She wore less lipstick than you'd expect on an American girl, but, but it went with her freshness. The first type of governmental system was based on the family. Your American Indians were a good example. The family, the clan, the tribe. In some cases, like the Iroquois Confederation, a nation of tribes. You were represented in the government according to the family or clan in which you were born. Still with you so far, Paul said. She had a very slight dimple in her left cheek. Dimples went best with blondes, Paul decided. The next governmental system was based on property. Chattel slavery, feudalism, capitalism. In ancient Athens, for example, those Athenians who owned the property of the city-state and the slaves with which to work it also governed the nation. Under feudalism, the nobility owned the country and governed it. The more land a noble owned, the larger his voice in government. I'm speaking broadly, of course. Of course, Paul said. He decided that she had more an American-type figure than was usual here. He brought his concentration back to the subject. However, that doesn't apply under capitalism. We have democracy. Everyone votes, not just the owner of the property. Anna was very serious about it. You mustn't use the words capitalism and democracy interchangeably. You can have capitalism, which is a social system, without having democracy, which is a political system. For instance, when Hitler was in power in Germany, the government was a dictatorship, but the social system was still capitalism. Then she grinned at him mischievously. Even in the United States, I think you'll find that the people who own a capitalist country run the country. Those who control great wealth have a large say in the running of the political parties, both locally and nationally. Your smaller property owners have a smaller voice in local politics. But how large a lobby does your itinerant harvest worker in Texas have in Washington? Paul said, slightly irritated now, This is a big subject, and I don't agree with you. However, I'm not interested now in the government of the United States. I want to know what you people have in store for Russia, if and when you take over. She shook her head in despair at him. That's the point the others were trying to make to you. We have no intention of taking over. We don't want to and probably couldn't even if we did want to. What we're advocating is a new type of government based on a new type of representation. He noticed the faint touch of freckles about her nose, her shoulders, to the extent her dress revealed them, and on her arms. Her skin was fair, as only the northern races produce. Paul said, All right, now we get to this third base of government. The first was the family, the second was property. What else is there? In an ultra-modern, industrialized society, there is your method of making your livelihood. In the future, you will be represented from where you work, from your industry or profession. The parliament or congress of the nation would consist of elected members from each branch of production, distribution, communication, education, medicine, syndicalism, Paul said, with some touches of technocracy. She shrugged. Your American technocracy of the 1930s I am not too familiar with how 
although I understand power came from top to bottom rather than from bottom to top democratically. The earlier syndicalists developed some of the ideas which later thinkers have elaborated upon, I suppose. So many of these terms have become all but meaningless through sloppy use. What in the world does socialism mean, for instance? According to some, your Roosevelt was a socialist. Hitler called himself a national socialist. Mussolini was edited a socialist paper. Stalin called himself a socialist. And the British currently have a socialist government, mind you, with the queen on the throne. The advantage of voting from where you work rather than from where you live doesn't come home to me, Paul said. Among other things, a person knows the qualifications of the people with whom he works, Anna said, whether he is a scientist in a laboratory or a technician in an automated factory. But how many people actually know anything about the political candidates for whom they vote? I suppose we could discuss this all day, Paul said. But what I was getting to is what happens when your outfit takes over here in Leningrad. Does Leonid become local commissar or head of police or, well, whatever new title you've dreamed up? Anna laughed at him as though he was impossible. Mr. Kosloff, you have a mind hard to penetrate. I keep telling you, we, the revolutionary underground, have no desire to take over and don't think that we could even if we wished. When the Soviets are overthrown by our organization, the new government will assume power. We disappear as an organization. Our job is done. Leonid, I don't know, perhaps his fellow employees at the McCoyan Camera Works will vote him into some office in the plant if they think I'm capable of it. Well, Paul sighed, it's your country. I'll stick to the American system. He couldn't take his eyes from the way her lips tucked in at the sides. Anna said, How long have you been in love with me, Paul? What? She laughed. Don't be so blank. It would be rather odd, wouldn't it, if two people were in love and neither of them realized what had happened? Two people in love? He said blankly, unbelievingly. End of section 5. Recording by Paul Harvey.